This is out of bounds. This is Out of Bounds, and we are back after a week layoff. We hope everyone who's watching the United States had a nice three-day weekend last weekend. But that's me, O'Brien. I'm John Alba. We're in our white because we can wear that now post-Memorial Day. What's going on, Mia? It's another edition of Out of Bounds. You look like you're already ready for our opening toast one, John Alba. Why? What What makes you say that? Uh, case of the Mondays, and that's the beauty of Out of Bounds, is we come to you on a Monday. So if you had a long day at the office or toiling away, grinding on the laptop, that's why we're here to kind of provide some levity on your nice little happy hour or on your drive home. That is, there's never a bad day to have happy hour on Out of Bounds. And that's what we try to do here. Give you a little sports talk. Talking about the weird, wacky, and wild in all of the sports world. And, of course, if you'd like to join us, we encourage you to leave us a chat in the YouTube section. Or if you'd like to get it read on air, you go to kynchat.com. Leave that super chat. We'll read it on air. Or you could just drop a super chat for us in the conversation as well. What's been going on, Mia? You had a week of travel and then back and forth to jacksonville and all that good stuff yeah back and forth a little bit of east coast travel uh now headed up to the atl this weekend so getting all those trips in before training camp opens and july is going to be even busier so uh mentally preparing for that but had a nice restful weekend this past weekend got to play a full 18 for the first time since my tonsillectomy uh wow. really only been playing nine and granted i've been getting out once a week but it's been mostly nine or the driving range so got to play 18 saturday and uh hit the beach a little yesterday so can't complain life is good and uh you know now enjoying kind of the the crunch before the dead season or what do they call it? the dead period they call it in the nfl begins yes we are what, about a week and a half away from both the Stanley Cup Finals and NBA Finals being through? And then we'll just have the Midsummer Classic. We'll have the dog days of the NFL offseason. And then we will be back and ready to go before you know it. College football will be here and Mia will be a happy camper. What do you got on tap this week, Mia? Oh, let's see. Well, on uh, the good old 1010XL channels, today was uh, the busy one. We had Jags OTAs this morning. Uh, then that was followed by my good friends over at Walk Off Charities. Um, you would actually really love that foundation, John. I should really link you up with them. Um, so what they do is they provide ba- opportunities in baseball for underprivileged kids in different socioeconomic areas in like Jacksonville. It. So whether that's providing clinics Baseball gloves, bats, building stadiums, building like fields it. here in Jacksonville. Good. So uh, their golf outing was today. Unfortunately, because we had Jack's practice, I could not play this year. But we did broadcast live from it. And we had all of our social channel interns running around doing stuff. So coordinating all that. Um we got more availability from the Jags Wednesday. Uh, but the real exciting news, besides my impending trip up to uh, – the second state of Georgia, because many believe Atlanta is a different state than Southeast Georgia, where I spend much of my time when I go to Georgia, um, is I will actually be filling in on the morning show at 1010XL, the award-winning The Drill from 6A to 10A, Thursday and Friday, which includes a solo 6 a.m. hour both days. So it will be my first time doing Solo radio outside really? of having a producer to bounce ideas mm. off of on Alba. Interesting. 
Yeah, have fun with that. It's definitely a trip doing it all on your own, but I've got a gut feeling that you'll have no problem filling the airtime. What are you drinking tonight? Well, uh, I've been trying to be good on the locale, but I'm also trying to be good in that we are finishing things in my house. We're, we're cleaning, cleaning out the fridge, in cleaning house. out the wine cabinet. Right. So this is, uh, it's from about a month or so ago. This is that Snoop Dogg wine. I forget the Snoop name Dogg of it. Wine. Yeah, you got to look it up. Snoop Dogg is his own just, wine. So got a nice little cab. Well, there ain't no law when you got the claw around here on Out of Bounds. Cheers to the dog days of the busy season. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. again guys leave us a super chat if you want to get your chat right on air because we have a hell of a starting topic and that of course a reunion of sorts potentially in the cards according to shams today Kyrie irving is going to try and recruit lebron james to the dallas mavericks this offseason Kyrie, of course is a free agent you might recall lebron he is not he's still under contract with the los angeles lakers I mean, Mia O'Brien, is the NBA not the greatest soap opera of all time? Because I can't think of anything that touches this. Year in and year out, this truly is a male soap opera, unlike the the likes of which we've ever seen. Well, I want to take our listeners, our viewers behind the curtain, John Alba, because mm-hmm. we were brainstorming what topics we t- discuss on tonight's program. And then you sent this to me and you said, oh, it's like they just keep selling it up on a server, silver platter for us. The amazing, <laughs> the unquestionable association. Mm-hmm. The question, the funny part for me was that I read that tweet briefly as I was literally walking through the parking lot at the Jags to get to the golf tournament. And I read it as LeBron wants to bring Kyrie to L.A. And then I got to said golf tournament. And my co-hosts were discussing that, no, it is Kyrie trying to recruit LeBron to Dallas, a place that Kyrie, with the help of Luka Doncic, mind you, could not even get into the playoffs with the expansion of said playoffs two seasons ago. So, yeah, fascinating. You never know what's coming next. I think the subtext here is what you were thinking. This is what I've been thinking throughout this whole thing. Oh, are you going to give us a win horse? Well, my – sure. Think about this. My subtext here is that I believe that Kyrie putting this out here, saying that he wants LeBron to come to Dallas, is leverage, or at least an attempt at leverage, from Kyrie to try to get himself to Los Angeles. Because that would put Los Angeles on the high horse of saying, okay, well, we don't want to lose LeBron to Dallas, so to acquiesce, we bring Kyrie here. We know that Kyrie wanted to go to L.A. just this past season in the middle of it when we knew he was going to get traded as part of the Lakers retooling. He wanted to be part of a deal to go to Los Angeles, but the Lakers didn't have the package that the Nets were looking for. So I think him saying, no, well, I want to bring him to Dallas is actually a roundabout way of trying to finagle his way to the Los Angeles Lakers, who were just one series away from the NBA Finals this season. What say you? There was also part of me, because I know we're both in the conspiracy theory game, there was also part of me that wondered, did Kyrie and the Dallas Mavericks miss out on the playoffs? Because there is this notion of, well, wouldn't you want to tank or at least have a lottery pick so that, you can select Bronny James next offseason yeah, yeah, yeah. and get his father to follow you. I mean, that that's way. always something that could happen down the line, but 
I don't think that's a, I really think this is, I think it's the Kyrie thing or, or this is LeBron's people insinuating that LeBron wants out of Los Angeles by word of mouth through Kyrie Irving. I think it is one of the two things. I don't think that this is in good consciousness, Kyrie Irving trying to finagle a trade that results in LeBron James going to Dallas. Could it happen? I suppose it could. There would be so many pieces I would need to be moved around to make it happen. They'd have to move heaven and earth. For that reason, I don't believe that. But I just think this league is the craziest thing ever. It really is. It's like if you had the Avengers writing their own movies. It's amazing. Captain America and Iron Man fighting over who's going to be the lead. That's what Civil War was actually about. They wanted to know who was going to be able to leverage their team into using a mid-level exception on Draymond Green. Well, I was going to say, what does that analogy make Luka Doncic then, and why have we not heard from him? Because, again, I don't think that the Mavericks are actually in on this. I think that this is just Kyrie trying to leverage himself into a move to Los Angeles to try to drum up interest from Los Angeles. Again, he's a free agent. With that said, Los Angeles would have to move around a lot of pieces in order to clear up space to sign Kyrie Irving to the contract that he wants to be. And my question on top of this, Mia, my follow-up is, who in the world would once again be willing to blow it all up for Kyrie Irving? This would be the fourth spot that Kyrie has tried to maneuver his way to. And there's what the... Here's what the I'm going to read you the salary caps of both the Lakers and the Mavs, and you tell me which one makes the most sense um, for LeBron James. As of right now, he would be paid $46.9 million to stay in Los Angeles. Anthony Davis slated to make $40 million. Malik Beasley, Mo Bamba, Jared Vanderbilt, Shaq Harrison, and Max Christie are the only other players that are under contract for the Los Angeles Lakers next season. Let's go to Dallas, where, as you alluded to, Kyrie Irving is not on the books next year, even though he thinks he is. Followed by Luka Doncic, Tim Hardaway, Davis Bertans, Maxi Kleber, Reggie Bullock, JaVale McGee, friend of the program, not of our program, of LeBron's, Josh Green, and Jaden Hardy. But you also so, know that Luka's about to cash in, too. Correct. That's coming. So here's my thing is like, and that's where I agree. I think this is all just Kyrie and LeBron's camp, just trying to create the reunion. And that's great. Um, I want to talk about Luca. I want to talk about, you know, that honestly, I don't think this is happening. I don't see there's don't see a world where Kyrie and LeBron go to Dallas, but I look at who's on the payroll in Dallas next season. And John, I can't help but feel like if they don't hit, in the draft, they don't somehow find this hidden gem who's going to blossom into a number two. Are we going to waste one of the greatest stars of this soap opera's recent history? Uh, no, because he's still so young and there's still so much time on his career. And if as, if LeBron is showing us anything, it's that your prime can be a, a long time. <laughs> I, I think LeBron's going to be entering age 39 and is still playing better than most players in the league. So uh, when you get a special talent like a Luka Doncic, I don't think you shut the door immediately on that and say, well, because in the first five, six years of his career, he didn't win a title, he's done, or we've wasted his prime. I don't think you jump to that conclusion. I'm more curious, and, and this is what I was going to follow up on, 
there's just something evidently about LeBron James and Kyrie wanting to play together. They, I know, you want to know what I think it is? Can I get philosophical oh, on you? I have an idea, but go ahead. I feel like part of it is this weird lineage and emotional tie they have because obviously when LeBron went to Miami, the Cavs then had the number one overall pick shortly thereafter. They selected Kyrie Irving, who toiled in mediocrity until LeBron returned home, and together they delivered the city of Cleveland a title. And so while I think there's some nostalgia, I think for LeBron it's also the fact that he left this kid to die to go to Miami, only to return and bring forth a championship. Um, but they feel like they still have unfinished business because maybe they should have won more in Cleveland. They probably um, should have won more in Cleveland. They they probably should have. And Cleveland basically spent the entire 2017 offseason without a GM, and they could have secured that, and they didn't. But I, I think the appeal is they balance each other very well on the court. And where LeBron is in his career, where if he had someone – who could facilitate and help get the ball to him where he's not the one who has to be doing all that work himself, that would benefit him greatly. And with Kyrie, if Kyrie had someone to take a lot of that pressure off him, where remember the three point shot that Kyrie hit in game seven of the 2016 NBA finals. The reason Kyrie Irving was able to hit that is because LeBron James was attracting the pressure from the the Golden State Warriors defense. So I think they do balance each other that way, but also Kyrie Irving had Kevin Durant and he had James Harden and they did nothing with that. So I'm out on Kyrie. I'm totally out on Kyrie. It should be noted though, too, that the Lakers didn't have a point guard this past postseason, even after they retooled the roster at the all-star break. And so that's where I think from just simply looking at the roster makeup, it makes sense to have a reunion, but it does not make sense to have it no, in Dallas. It makes it, more sense in Los Angeles. Much more so in LA, and that's why I think this is happening. And I'm just, again, I'm out on Kyrie. I was once a defender of Kyrie Irving for a multitude of reasons. I'm out on him now. I don't see how any NBA franchise could look at him as a, de- a dependable player at this juncture uh, until he proves otherwise, and I just don't see that happening. LA, Dallas, major media markets, Denver, Miami. Are they major? I don't know. We'll debate that another time. Let's talk NBA Finals, John Alba. This series has brought in the big debate of the stars versus a cohesive machine. Jamal Murray struggles in game two. Nikola Jokic drops 41 points. They struggle. They drop game two to the Miami Heat. Here's the thing, though, John. Everyone knows Nikola Jokic is the best player in the world at this current juncture. He is the star in Denver. But obviously, having Jamal Murray, being able to create for him, dishing out double-digit assists is when Jokic is at his best, and thus the Nuggets are at their best. That's when they become the machine. But with that said, you take one star away, and the offense struggles. So, knowing that, and also knowing how the Miami Heat are constructed with a bunch of undrafted free agents and former D3 basketball players, but they perform well together. Do stars matter after all? Yes, stars do matter in the NBA. It's proven time and time again, me O'Brien, stars do matter. That's not to say a team without stars or a collection of stars can't win. Of course they can. And let's not pretend here. The Heat still have Jimmy Butler, who is a star. No, but what? So that's my thing. I think Jimmy Butler is a star. But the rest of the world apparently doesn't. They're stupid. People think he's top 20. He's top 30. He's not top 10. He's a lot better than that. He's a top 10 player in the NBA. Okay. And and even if he's not a top 10 player in the NBA. He's he's a top 10 player in the playoffs. And certainly in the playoffs he is. 
So, yeah, stars matter because the Heat wouldn't be there without Jimmy Butler in the first place. Stars do matter. And ironically, you know, everyone was like, oh, the Miami, Denver, this is going to draw terribly. So far, NBA Finals viewership, I think, is down half a million from what it was last year, which is virtually nothing. It's minuscule at that point. The brand sells itself. The NBA sells itself. And Nikola Jokic, people recognize is an all-time great. We are watching in real time. We are watching an all-time great's career develop in real time. And it's a very exciting thing to see. If you like great basketball where a guy can dominate. And if you're okay with the Europeans, too. I mean, that's, I think, part of this, too, is like this, well, he he grew up playing water polo. He can't be good. He throws the ball like it's a volleyball. Like, there's no way he could be good at basketball. No, he could be the best player in the world, and he is. Yeah, he is. And he can dominate you in a variety of ways. As we saw Eric Spolstra lose his mind in a press conference yesterday for no read. I thought that was poor taste, honestly, from Spol. But regardless, I think that anyone suggesting that stars don't matter in the NBA have not been paying attention to the NBA for the last 15 to 20 years. But, but, I don't do you still either. need a big three? Do you need a big three no. of three of the top 20 players in no. the world? To make an NBA Finals. No. I mean, look what the Bucks just did a couple years ago with Giannis. You had Giannis and you had a bunch of good players around him, but you had the best player in the world at that time in Giannis, and therefore they won an NBA Finals. Let's go back in the time machine, though. Circa 2016, the Cavs had three of the top 20 players in the world, and the Warriors had three of the top 20 players in the world. And no one was going to ever break into that stronghold. Of course, I get that. I don't think it's mutually exclusive that you can't break in when you're going against teams that have a stacked lineup or that the it's a guarantee that the teams with the stacked lineups are going to make it. You play the full season for a reason, right? At the end of the day, that's what this boils down to. You play the entire season. So there are great teams, even Michael Jordan's Bulls that had Pickin, uh, Pippen and, and Horace Grant and uh, all these great talents, they were vulnerable too. I think that you do need a star yes realistically a star and a half to two stars to yep. win an nba final i do believe that i don't think you're gonna ever see a team in today's nba win without at least one star correct but i, I think th- that's the case but i think we are moving and maybe it's because of the and maybe this is just simply a great coaching matchup between michael malone and spolstra but i feel like we and, and it's just circumstance i feel like we are moving further away from you need to have 3 to 5 stars and it's an arms race to hey you have your 1 to 2 focal points who are your elite elite guys but then you have a system built around them that's what you're seeing in miami and that's what you see in denver although i think denver and this is where i think it, it, the notion of they should be the unquestioned favorites beyond the fact that they put on the show they did this regular season it should stem from the fact that i think michael porter junior is it a similar situation that Jamal Murray was back yeah. in 2020 where he could be an emerging star? Mm-hmm. And now you look and you got a star in Jokic. You've got probably like 0.75 in Jamal Murray and you got like 0.25 in Michael Porter. That's what I said. You got like a star and a half or whatever. Right. It is. I think- as opposed to my whole point of this argument, as opposed to Kyrie, Kevin Love, and LeBron in 2016. Steph, Dre, Clay. Well, and I do think it underscores somewhat to your point that you're saying it underscores the value of great coaching because great coaching does matter in the NBA, even in a superstar league, great coaches who connect with those stars and who draw up plays 
they are the ones that ultimately succeed. And like, that's why when I saw that people were crapping all over the Vogel hiring with the Suns, I'm like, no, nah, man, like Vogel, regardless, maybe he's not the most enigmatic coach, but that's a guy who draws up plays well. He connects with stars well. That's a guy I would like leading my team. He's got a championship and arguably the hardest season of all time under his belt. I got no issues with that whatsoever. I think that to the argument of this question, Mia, if there's anyone out there who in good consciousness tries to argue that the amount of stars you have doesn't matter or that stars don't matter, I think you're just wrong. You do need a star, but I think you only need one and then a great cast of characters around them. Which is different, by the way, not even to the Cavs Warriors. That's, I mean, let's go back to 2010 and the movement LeBron started of the big three in Miami. Wait, once upon a time. They were only taken down by a Mavericks and a Spurs team that had three plus stars of their own. Even if we didn't know it at the time. Well, but, okay, but then even look at the Spurs. You could argue the Spurs of 2007 had a big three. You mm-hmm. could make a fair argument in that sense. So I think this predates all of that even. Again, you could go to the Magic having Shaq and Penny back in the mid-90s, and they didn't win. Right. They got there, but they didn't that's win. Where the, that's where I just find this playoffs, and again, maybe it's just the way the card shook out. I find it so fascinating because I Jokic is a star. Jimmy Butler is a star. Jamal Murray, Bam Adebayo. And then Duncan Robinson. Maybe what you will. Mia, you're a sportscaster. I'm a sportscaster. We love yeah. it. Well, this is the season of Mike Green. This is the season of bang, if you will. Still waiting for uh, a good old bang in these finals to really resonate. So it's brought up a little conversation. It's two sportscasting connoisseurs here. What's your favorite call in broadcasting these days? A lighter topic. Now, there's not quite as many gimmicks in the business as there used to be, but bang is pretty damn identifiable. Are there any others that really tickle your fancy? Well, first and foremost, I need to note, Jamal Murray, if you don't show up in game three, like you're dead to me because it is your fault that we missed an all-time bang. And I think what is so endearing about Mike Breen's bang is he's not trying too hard. It just naturally is, it just fits. It's not, as you and I have talked about, there are some sportscasters who still speak on the air as if they are a 1980s You know, we're here, we're talking about sportscasting. Yeah, and look at what a great game this was. Yeah, no, like Mike Breen's, it's timeless. It just works. And I was very sad because as Jamal Murray's shot as it left his hands, I literally, (laughs) please. Um, No, uh, another timeless call for me to the point that. Right now, I'm saying, not not all time, right now. No, 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 it's right now. I think that Michael Kay's home run call will forever go down. Controversial uh, take. I know it is, but I think it will go down forever. And maybe it's because I grew up in the New York metropolitan area. But like when I see a home run, I say to myself, he's on the track. He's at the wall. See ya. Like I say it to myself. That's a controversial one. That's a. How about the Yankees win? I mean, that's very regionalized for sure. I I think I got to go. Bill Raftery onions. onions, Onions. Onions is a staple of 
it, it, when there's a big three hit in the NCAA tournament, instinctively you just want to type out in all caps onions. It's yes. so. That's a good one. You want to do that. I love David Steele, uh, the NBA broadcaster. Uh, he, he drills it. That, that's always a good one. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna redeem myself with Gus Johnson, just la- yell, yelling loud noises. I don't know about that. I, I'm no. not into that. I'm not into the. I think the best broadcasters really know when to let a moment breathe, and yes. that's why. I never quite understood why Joe Buck would get so much hate, especially calling baseball. Cause I think Joe Buck is one of the very best at letting moments breathe and letting the images take you away. I think he got a bad rep for that. I don't know. I just. Back, 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 oh, back. No, 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 no. Hardcore. No. Really? Oh, I don't need to hear a chicken clucking while I'm while I'm listening to a baseball game. There's oh, a reason no, I was that, referring to Berman. I know. There's a reason why Chris Berman isn't calling baseball on ESPN anymore. Okay. I'd love to know everyone's thoughts out there. KYNchat.com. Let us know what, what's like a timeless call right now out there for you. There's obviously so many that exist in the tome of sports casting history i was watching the naked gun the other day it's one of my all-time favorite movies and mel allen has his cameo in it and just uh they're showing the bloopers in center field and the tiger comes on and he mauls the human being and he just goes how about that and i'm like man that is that is just so great it's so great i, I love think some people. of the beauty for me john in sports casting in the modern era is guys that are able to adapt um, like I'll give you an example. Like, like, I, I feel like that's where Mike Breen is such an anomaly because he says bang, bang, bang. And you're like, yes, give me more. Whereas, uh, with all due respect to the new crew down in Gainesville, um, trying to make chop, chop, chop a thing. I'm just like, no, bro. Let's move it. Let's move on over to the gridiron meal. Why don't we? Oh, okay. All right. Let's do it. This is here a- we go. This is a Speaking good one. of broadcasting, let's get further inside the numbers. Look at uh, that graphic right there. Let me see. Oh. No comment. Tom Brady doesn't want to play for the Raiders, or so he says. He says he wants to be the minority owner. Troy Aikman, on the subject of sports broadcasters, speculated last week that Brady could get the urge to play for Las Vegas next season. Brady shut it down, said he enjoys indulging in dessert. Hanging out with his kids, that's what's most important, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and preparing for his job at Fox. John, what would be more surprising, Brady returning or Brady actually eating dessert? (laughs) It's got to be Brady eating dessert, right? Yes. The the avocado ice cream. I saw – there's a famous YouTuber I watch, Nick DiGiovanni. He's a chef, and he had Tom Brady on with him. And one of the videos was making Tom Brady's daily meal prep. So they showed you how he makes. Yeah, well, I want to know what's in it. Keep, keep going. Well, it's just so boring. It's just so boring, and and like everything's got protein powder in it. It's just so boring. But like, and, what's an average and, meal? Like, and, what what was the meal they made? Oh God! Well, no, they showed everything that. Yeah, he yeah, I want to hear. Like, what does he eat for breakfast, lunch, dinner? Back, watch. It was a lot of um, egg whites, which you know mm-hmm. I. Yeah, I know you don't. don't, don't (laughs) And and you know fruits and all that kind of stuff. I'll send you the link to the actual video. You can see yourself. But at the end, 
they make the avocado ice cream. And I'm thinking that the avocado ice cream is supposed to kind of taste like avocado, like something bright and everything. But apparently it doesn't actually taste like avocado. It just uses avocado. So what does it taste like? Nothing? He basically said it tasted very, like, there's virtually no flavor to it. So nothing was interesting about Tom Brady's diet. So the idea that he might be indulging in dessert every now and then, that that's a big deal. I don't think Tom Brady is coming back. I think – I don't want to say that he regrets coming back, but I know you'll say he regrets coming back, so go ahead. He's a broken man. If you watch any of those – tapings live shows he did last week when he did his little media tour from his one bedroom studio apartment in Miami. He is a broken man. He thought he could go back to playing and he would not suffer any repercussions. And he did. His wife left him. She said she would. He didn't believe her. And she did. And now he is having to pay the price of recognizing that not only did he lose his wife, even if they are still on good terms, but his kids saw him choose a game over his wife. And for a guy who I think deep down, and it pains me to say this because you know more than anyone, I can't stand the guy, but I am seeing a softening of this poor man. How could he look his children in the eye and say, I chose the game of football over your mother and you. And so now he's, now he's making up for it. And that, you know what? He's accepting his own mortality and I am okay with it. And if he comes back, it's because what else does he have to do besides take care of his daughter's cats? Which I, well, I will say this now that I live with a cat, it's it's not for the faint of heart, John Alba. That yeah. that little sucker, as soon as I walked in, the tea man was clinging, clinging to me. And I'm like, dude, I need to go do a podcast. Yeah, like 80% of what you just said was so speculative. <laughs> I've done my research. Yeah. In the same way that Twitter's for free speech? Uh-huh. Oh, man. I think you're rough on Tom Terrific. I think no, you're No, I feel... I'm sympathized. I feel bad for the guy. I think... I, you feel that he's a broken man with a yes. $100 million broadcast deal? Yes. And... I don't think he's actually going to fulfill that, by the way. I think he's going to be much better in the studio than in the booth. I agree with that. But that's another conversation for when he actually debuts we can have that conversation which i don't know if will ever happen uh, i think he will i'll take the year off and then it'll happen and he'll be under a ton of scrutiny and he'll see how difficult it is because it's very difficult to do and by the way i think he's brilliant i think he'd be prepared i just don't think his personality is going to fit the booth you have to look at this whole situation logically And the reason this is all stemming is because Jimmy Garoppolo had a procedure because Jimmy Garoppolo can never stay healthy. And they're like, well, you know, maybe Tom will come in. And I will say with Tom as a minority owner and Garoppolo as quarterback, it does leave the door open for some interesting storytelling. Like think like even Jimmy Garoppolo, when he gets this big starting job with the Raiders, can't quite get out of the shadow of Tom Brady still. It is there's there's something to that. Oh, there's absolutely. If there was ever a team that he was going to go to, and the fact that the McDaniels tie in, it's just fantastic. Um, yeah, no, the the poetry and the parallels are great. And listen, like, do I think Tom Brady could still play? Yeah, but like also he saw firsthand when that offensive line gets beat up and can't protect him at forty five years old, it's over. 
You're throwing the ball three yards just to get well, out of hell's let's way. Let's not pretend that the Raiders were great last year. Correct. And let's that's not pretend and that Josh McDaniels is a great coach. He's not, but he's got the history, obviously, with Tom Brady. So people play into that narrative. They want to know why, by the way. Like, why, why is it that he wanted to part on the Raiders? Just because that's Las Vegas? Because he can. No, no, but he could have, but like he could have gone anywhere. Why the Raiders? I think, I think Vegas. There's a lot of opportunities right now with yeah. how everything that's going on. He wants to build Patriots West out there, and I get it. I get it. Allegedly, they're trying to build Patriots South in Houston. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, I don't know about that, but I mean, I just saw an article right before we started here that with this potential A's new stadium, Las Vegas, that it might revitalize efforts to build a monorail in Las Vegas. Like this is a revitalization project and Tom Brady wants to be a part of it. But uh, that, uh, that may be for the week of heart. We'll see how that plays out. Let's keep rolling here, Mia. We go back to the East coast. Hockey. Let's talk this is, hockey. This is, the stadium series. Okay. Yeah. Tell me more, John. The NHL announced two stadium series games for next season, both going down in Jersey at MetLife Stadium. The Devils are going to host the Philadelphia Flyers February 17th in an outdoor night game. The Islanders host the Rangers on the 18th at a time to be determined. You see the imagery there. MetLife Stadium, it looks like the color of snow as is. Nothing very colorful about it. Did the stadium series games devalue the winter classic? And why in the world would you pick the Meadowlands for this? Those are my two questions for you, Mia. No, I love both of these things, quite frankly, John. Um, I think compared to playing in Nashville in February, where it could be 60 to 80 degrees on an off day. Yeah, sure. It's usually in the 50s, but you could get a 70 degree day in Nashville. And now you're having to play a stadium series game, which I understand it's played at night. So it's usually cooler. I love when they're up in Beantown, they're in Pittsburgh. It's 10 degrees, 20 degrees outside. Everybody's in the stadium. Look, maybe this is because I covered. Here he goes. Here she goes. I covered an out the first ever outdoor wrestling match in college wrestling history at Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City. That was play that wrestling match was hosted at noon on a Saturday. Then they played the football game at seven o'clock at night, November 12th. So we're talking 40, 50 degrees. They're out there in their singlets. Hockey players got all the gear on in the world, John. And it's a winter sport. I love it. I love it. I'm glad they're going no, back to cold been... weather areas. I don't want to hear about Tampa hosting an outdoor. Oh, no, but I think you're missing the point. You're different. missing the point. You're missing the we point. We did a segment a few weeks ago about the best venues and scenes. But you're missing and... the point. Well, first off, if you're talking best venues, you can't in good consciousness tell me that no, the best scenes. I think that seeing a hockey, listen, I think seeing a hockey rink with all those people around in a stadium setting. Sure. Listen, if we're going to play the NCAA tournament in a football stadium, we could play a hockey game. the argument. The argument is, does the stadium series devalue the Winter Classic? And I think it's 150% does. I don't see any argument in which it doesn't. The Winter Classic, 2009 is the first one. It happens up in Buffalo and you get this amazing, amazing atmosphere. Sidney Crosby's involved. Like, everything, it, it's uh, incredible. And you do it as a yearly tradition. Everyone knows New Year's Day, you get this outdoor NHL game, and it's awesome. The atmosphere is great. When you add the stadium series in, you're having multiple outdoor games every single year, and it takes away from 
this unique thing that we talk every week, I feel like, about how the NHL fails to market its stars and the NHL fails to put itself out there. They found something with their Winter Classic. And now with the Stadium Series, when you got anywhere from three to five outdoor games a year, what where's the specialty of the Winter Classic other than that it just takes place on New Year's Day? Now, sure, I get it. The league's probably making a little extra money. Wait, are you this. saying this this isn't the Winter Classic? No, this is the Stadium Series. So we're going to have a Winter Classic this is how and, this has been happening for years now, but now that we're having in this particular year, we're having two back to back. You're having two games at this one venue on consecutive days, in addition to the Winter Classic. I okay. think it devalues it tremendously. That you're correct. Sorry, I'm a yeah. Now, now, if you want to have the other, I argument thought this, I thought I thought that they simply because, as we know, growing up. In New Jersey, where you have Jets and Giants fans, you have mm-hmm. Knicks and Nets fans, you have Islanders, Giants, or Islanders, Rangers, Devils fans. I thought it was simply a case of, well, you know, you can't give it to one team and not the other. So the Winter Classic's getting two games now. No. So we have the, the Winter, Winter Classic, Classic, and then we have the Okay, no. that's I mean, oversaturating the market. And that's been happening. But now, especially that you're having two games at the same venue, which as a whole, MetLife Stadium is a bad venue. Met no, Life it is, Stadium but is that's the nature of living in New Jersey, but, honey, but, our whole but, life. But, they got but, but, but here's the thing. You have all these other great venues in the New York City market that would have made for such a fantastic visual, doing this at Yankee Stadium, doing this at City Field. There were other venues. Now, I understand part of the problem might have been that MSG has the playing rights to, Mass- to uh, the New York Rangers in New York, but surely there could have been some deal worked out to make an exception where the Rangers are going to make a crap ton of money off this game as is. And Dolan owns both the Rangers and Madison Square Garden, by the way. So something could have been worked out here. MetLife Stadium has no character at all. I think this is a whiff for the NHL. Money. Seats. I get it. I understand. I know more people into the football stadium. I'm just Which saying. remember, folks, for those of you tuning in who have no uh, sort of affinity or ties to the New York metropolitan area. Yes, the New York Giants and the New York Jets play and practice in New Jersey. Yes. Shout out to the New Jersey Devils, though. I know. I'm just at least at least they're listen. At least it's New Jersey and they're playing in New Jersey. <sighs> the New York right. Rangers don't play in New Jersey, John. Let's stay in New York. I know you want Yay! to. Yay! Aaron Judge! Oh, yeah. So he may have broken his toe. He made this crazy grab Saturday night. The Yanks beat the Dodgers. They take two of one from L.A.'s team. But he crashes through the right field wall. Um, Literally which, crashed through it. Yeah, which they spent, like, I think four segments on Sunday Night Baseball, John, discussing how he broke the wall that apparently has stood for 40 years. But 270 pounds, 6'6", Aaron Judge. Went through it. The bigger concern, of course, is that nice little concrete slab. See, I know everything. I'm so in the weeds with it because I watched all the segments um, where he kind of trips up on his foot. That's where the broken toe may have occurred. So, John, my question is, and this is clearly a question you have written because I think that Aaron Judge was worth the money. Does Aaron Judge play too hard for someone his size? Should he be more lazy for his longevity? I mean, again, that's I'm saying this. in Well, you've been saying for years that you are very concerned about the shelf life of a career for someone that large. Well, and I, yet he continues to get an MVP no, to win the, whoa, the AL home run. Words in my mouth season. right now. You are putting words in my mouth. Now, first off, I will pull up right here a group chat that I've got with some individuals in Major League Baseball where I verbatim said, 
Aaron Judge could retire after the season and he was worth the contract. I love him so much. To which I then asked my friend, will you donate a toe to him? Okay. I, I, I think that Judge is the type of guy that wants to prove every one of those naysayers wrong about Oh, you know, you can't give a guy his size this long of a contract. It's it's just his body's going to break down. And listen, if he goes on the IL here, that's two IL trips this season already, which I understand this was a bit of a fluke injury, but still, that's two IL trips. And, and he still made the play. And for a guy his size, you know, you, you worry about even a broken toe. A broken toe can slow a guy like him down quite a bit. I hope that's not the case. He was, even with the IL trip prior, he was on a trajectory already playing better than he was last season for the most part, which is just crazy. I love Aaron Judge. And when I say, should he, should he be more lackadaisical? Should he be lazier? Of course not. Of course he shouldn't be lazier. He should be the exact type, same type of player that they signed up for. But I do think it, it does beg the question, Mia, that should there be some type of protocol with Judge where maybe you start to stagger how much he's playing, maybe you give him an extra off day every week just to make sure that the body is holding up. Because when you're that size, wear and tear is going to happen. Coincidentally, uh, don't the Los Angeles Dodgers do that with – I mean, Clayton Kershaw is a pitcher. But I feel like they do that with much totally of their different. roster. Totally different. No, it's very different with Kershaw but because he's a pitcher. But I feel like with a lot of their roster, because they have such a deep lineup, that they're able to do that for some of their veteran guys. And so, yeah, I would say, but I could tell you this, Aaron Judge, now he's got the C on his chest. He's not going to take days off if he's healthy. He's just not. So unless you drill it into him, which I know, you know, since we always have to make a Jags reference, you know, the Jags are struggling right now with uh, Calvin. There he goes. He's going to drink again. Um, Calvin Ridley wants to go, 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 go. And it's like, bro, you, you haven't played organized football in two years. We got to ease you in. Um, and we got to pump the brakes a little Doug's words, not mine. Um, so unless you're somehow able to get Aaron judge to pump the brakes, I mean, yeah, it should be a no brainer. Also, it's the Yankees. You should be deeper than you are. It shouldn't well, that, be. That is the issue. In yeah, and of, that's the problem. And of course, Aaron Hicks is tearing it up for the Baltimore Orioles since <laughs> signing with the Baltimore Orioles. But you knew that was going to happen. I, I mean, again, that is part of the issue without a question. But I, I, listen, I, what I love about Aaron Judge is that he's the type of superstar known for his bat, but he's not afraid to show that he's fearless in the outfield. And I think that is great for the game. The more defensive theatrics we see from a player like Aaron Judge, the better and the healthier for the game it is. I just do become a little concerned that this wear and tear will start to go down. I, I worry a little bit about that. I, I think it's just natural, Mia. I, yeah. I think it's natural. But I mean, yeah, but it, you know. You, I'm, you never gonna, I'm never going to yell at a guy for giving it his all. But yes, no, in, terms you, of load, in terms of load management, look, let's take it back to our first topic of the day. LeBron James. LeBron James has had load management, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Maybe it's not to the extent of some other NBA players over the past five to seven years, but there have been games where he has been, you know, given the night off. And people can judge that all they want, but I do think it has played a role in why he is still in his prime, arguably, at 39 years old. Well, we go from total hustle to lack of hustle for our final topic before the beast of the week here. 
Braves DH Marcelo Zuna was removed from Sunday's game against the Diamondbacks for not hustling after hitting a drive to deep center field. Manager Brian Snitker confirmed such after the game. In the fourth inning of the Braves' win, Ozuna smashed an offering to deep center. He ended up on first base, though, settling for a 415-foot single because Ozuna stood at home plate and watched the ball reach its destination instead of running right after contact. Is this Little League stuff, Mia? It was Snicker in the wrong to pull a great hitter for something silly. Is this just something you just say, buddy, don't do it again and move on? Or, or did he have to prove a point here? I think he had to prove a point just because the Braves have been so up and down all year. Um, so I, I think that this was something about, you know, stopping the snide a little bit and setting an example, um, whether you agree with that or not. Um, I'm pulling I'm pulling up their schedule right now because um, I am going to see them this weekend. So I should probably know. Um, so, yeah, they take two or three from the Diamondbacks. But before that, you know, you lose two or three to the A's, the A's, you, you split with the Phils, you lose a series to the Dodgers. You had to have by many accounts like I think it was proving a point of, yes, it's a long season. Yes, there's one hundred and sixty two games. But if you're not showing effort, we have a line. They have a lineup that's deep enough that if you're not going to play, somebody else. Like Ozuna had some very bad issues off the field. And Correct. I think then you have something like that. You lose a little bit of the wiggle room that you might be given otherwise. But I, I'm not sure if you saw this, but I mean, he literally just stood at home play for a hot second. And maybe he thought it was a home run. Well, he did. That's what it was. He thought it was a home run. He thought he hit a home run. But I mean, how many times do we have to see something like this happen for players to understand? You got to at least trot out of the box, do something. I, it's a bad look. Brian Snicker is a no BS manager. There's a reason they won a world series a couple of years ago. It's because of a guy like Snicker, who's a baseball lifer. And I do think you need to set an example. Uh, a slap on the wrist doesn't do you any good because when things like, especially this, when well, it's a veteran like that, well, well prove, that, like- prove that no one is untouchable. When 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 action is not taken against people for stuff like this, it sets a bad example in the locker room. I'm right now I'm reading the book on the 98 Yankees that Jack Curry just put out. And mm-hmm. there's small examples of stuff just like this that that team did do to set an example for the entire locker room. And I think that you need to do something similar like this, especially because the Braves are a team that could contend for a World Series uh, with a strong second half. So, uh, yeah, no issues. They're the betting me. favorite, by the way. Yeah. No, no issues by me for Snitker doing this. All right, Mia, what is your sidebar? I'm just I'm looking at their roster and their depth chart right now. Uh-huh. <sighs> Listen, I'm not saying that you know the Braves are the '98 Yankees or anything, but I'm just like, dang, look at that infield. That's that's a nice looking yeah, infield. They're talented. Yeah, they're they're really talented, and they're all homegrown. Sad. Yes. I wish my team could say the same. I mean, hey, but Anthony Volpe last night, that's what we're talking about. That's right. What's your beast of the week, Mia? What's the most beastly thing you saw in the sports world this week? So this one I'm still kind of learning a little bit about as we go, John, uh, because I was watching, uh, which we could make this the beast of the week for what it's worth. Uh, I was watching Victor Hovland literally steal a victory from the jaws of poor Denny McCarthy, who was so emotional at the memorial yesterday. Um, I would also argue you could make the beast of the week, Jack Nicholas. Jack Jack Nicholas, who wait for it? He, when Rory was what? Did you watch it at all? The memorial yeah, yesterday. So Rory, so uh, McCarthy bogeys eighteen, so it forces a playoff. Hovland was already in the clubhouse, so they both go to the range to start warming up. But 
the final group was Rory McIlroy and Siwoo Kim, who had both fallen apart on the back nine, so they were no longer in contention. But the broadcast waited for the two of them to finish. And Jack likes to wait on 18 for all the golfers to walk off, and he shakes their hand. And Rory McIlroy walks up to him. He's like, hey, Jack, how are you? And Jack goes, not your day, kid. That was pretty beastly. Yeah, I know, right? Amazing. Uh, No, but then uh, they brought up on the women's side, and they brought up our, our girl, Rose Zhang. Yeah, this is a arguably big deal. Very cool. the best women's amateur golfer in history. So she fends off Jen Kupko, who is a legend over the last five years in women's golf, in a two-hole playoff after she won in a playoff at Liberty National to win her first LPGA Tour title. She is now the first person to win on the tour while making her professional debut. Since 1951, she is also the first ever to win the NCAA Division One title and win on the LPGA Tour in the same season. And, John, she did it in two weeks' time. Not too shabby. I'm with you. She's awesome. I love this. But this, when when I conceptualize the Beast of the Week, a story like this is what I had in mind. And this is, of course, we all know uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, of course, yes! the, the all-time great character in football. Uh, he's retiring. Okay. Sad. And and sure, yeah, he's a character. He's a gimmick, right? So he's doing a retirement speech. And he's putting the sunset on this 24-year career. And there's a bunch of, you know, he plays for AC Milan, and there's a bunch of Verona fans in the opposing side of the stadium who are booing him. And as he's giving the speech on the fly, he looks at the section and he goes, keep booing. This is the biggest moment in your year seeing me. Mic drop moment. That is truly a beast of the week moment. Did you also see, uh, see this one from him? I don't. I I think pretty sure it's real. Today I woke up and it was raining, and I thought even God is. Sad. <laughs> do you want? You don't watch Ted Lasso, do you? No, but I. I, I he's know. like Zava was created to be Zlatan, and it's yeah. just. Yeah, he's. Uh, uh, he was a character when I covered him in the MLS uh, All Star game a few years back. Oh yeah. So it was. It was. It was a good time. That's my beast of the week. That's your beast of the week. This has been out of bounds. What a quick 50 minutes this was flying by. We'll be back with you next week right here on the Know Your News Network. We appreciate you. We'll see you next week on Out of Bounds. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should, too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now 